0: You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ, who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Matthew chapter 28, we'll be reading verses 16 through 20 in a few moments. For almost a month now, we have been preaching a sermon series from that passage, Matthew 28:18 or 16 through 20. This series has basically been under the title of Go. It has challenged us to live a life on mission with Jesus. And in the process of these Last four sermons, and hopefully again today, we have learned some things. We have learned that missions and evangelism flow from a heart of worship. We have learned that the power and presence of Jesus is present, is on scene in our mission and in our evangelism. One Sunday we took some time to, to dive deep into the gospel message, the gospel message that we are sent with, the gospel message that, that drives our missions and drives our evangelism. Last Sunday, we were challenged to go and to make disciples. So today we conclude this sermon series by looking at exactly how disciples grow how they mature we talk about this often in the church that our church is that we are to go to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ that is what we are 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 about if someone were to ask you what is Mission City Fellowship about what is that church really really intent on doing hopefully you would say well our heart is to do what Jesus told us to do to go and make disciples and everything we do is, comes from that, is based on that, or in some way tied to that. If it's not, then the church ought not to be doing it. We are to go and make disciples of all people. And that's what we've been looking at. And so some of this, uh, will just be kind of pulling all of this together and summarizing, and then all, hopefully helping us to understand What a disciple is, that we're going to go a little bit deeper on that, and we're going to understand how disciples grow in faith. How disciples of Jesus Christ mature. Okay, that's what we're looking at this morning. So, let me read aloud, if you would follow along, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. May we hear it. May we heed it. So let's examine this passage for the truth that he has for us this morning from specifically from verses 19 and 20. That's where we're going to be focusing and really even more specific than that, verse 20 is where we'll be looking. And just some truths that I want us that we need to understand this morning. And the first truth from this passage is this that the church is given the task to make and mature disciples. The church is given the task, to make and mature disciples. This passage, as many of you probably know, and if you don't, uh, it's important for you to understand, this passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. A commission is a task or a duty that is assigned to someone or to some group. This is an obligation, if you will, have that has been given to a person or given to a group that they are to then accomplish. So when we talk about the Great Commission, we're talking about a task that Jesus gave to His church. The commission that we have here is the standing order of Jesus Christ that He gave to the church. This is a standing order. This is a standing commission that has been effect in effect since Jesus spoke these words. The church ha- was to never waver off this commission, off this task. It has been the standing order of Jesus to his people, to his church, in every season, in every generation, and in every culture, and in every context. It transcends time. It transcends culture. It is what the church is supposed to be about in America. It's what the church is supposed to be about on the continent of Africa, what it's supposed to be about in Asia. Wherever the church is, this is the standing order. The church is to go and to make disciples. We have referred to it in the course of this series as summing it up as disciples making disciples. That's really what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are making disciples of Jesus Christ who then make disciples of Jesus Christ and it just continues on and on. We are disciples of Jesus Christ who are used by the Lord to make disciples of Jesus Christ who are then used by the Lord to make more disciples of Jesus Christ. This is how the church grows. This is how the the gospel is spread. This is how, how the kingdom, in a sense, is coming through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the Lord Jesus begins to reign in more and more hearts and minds. The commission is the great and pressing responsibility of the church. And it is also the joyful privilege given solely to the church. It certainly is not the job of a government to make disciples. It is not the job of social organizations to make disciples. It is not the job even for angels to make disciples. It has been solely given to the people of Christ. It has been solely given to the church. We have been given the task of making disciples, which is to say, we have been given the task of continuing the work and ministry that Jesus began. We have been given the authority we read, Jesus said, I have been given all authority, and by implication, I'm giving you that authority. I'm telling you, in that authority, you're to go and make disciples. And so, what we are doing in that authority is that we are continuing what Jesus began himself when he walked on this earth. Now, our work is not providing salvation for people. Because only Christ accomplished that. Our work is proclaiming to all people the salvation that Christ accomplished. That's how we continue the work and ministry that Jesus began in His own life, death, and resurrection. Our work is proclaiming to all the salvation that Christ has accomplished. We call that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did in our place and for our sin. That then made the way open for us to come to the Father and be restored and to be adopted as sons and daughters. So what was the work and ministry of Jesus? Well, let's look at that a little bit closer, and I want you to hear what Jesus said about His work. I want you to hear in Jesus' own words to begin with what His reason was, how He understood why He came to this planet, why He took on human flesh. In Matthew 9, verse 13, Jesus said this, I came... See, this was a defining purpose for Him. I came... He's telling us why He came. I came not to call the righteous... But sinners. Now, the issue here is that all people are sinners, but not all people recognize they are sinners. And that's kind of the issue here. Many people think they're okay, they think they're right with God when they're not. Jesus said, I came to call the sinner. In Mark chapter 10, we hear what Jesus said. For the Son of Man, Jesus, is who he's referring to. Jesus came, I came not, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. I came, Jesus said, I came for this purpose. Listen, we we live in a world that is constantly trying to assign different motives to Jesus. No. He tells us why He came. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we hear again, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus saying, He's referring to Himself as the Son of Man. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John chapter 10. Jesus here said, I came that my sheep, I came that my sheep might have life and have it abundantly. These are all statements from Jesus telling us why he came, telling us what his work and ministry was about. The rest of the New Testament just affirms what Jesus claimed about his reason for coming to earth. Here's just an example. I could give probably hundreds of scriptures, but here's just three. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we see all this, we could read many scriptures in the Old Testament that point to what Jesus was going to do. This gives us just a small taste of why Jesus came. Again, there are many, many more verses. And after Jesus gave himself as a ransom to pay our sin debt, he established his people, he took his followers, and he formed them into a faith community. We call that the church. And to the church he gave the standing order bringing this back around to go and make disciples to continue on in his work and his ministry of why he came to seek and save the lost. So what Jesus began in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and I would say his ascension and his return we continue to proclaim and let it be known today that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. It is now the job of the church to let all people know who Jesus is, why he came, and what that means for them. And why that was so important. So let's spend some time digging a little deeper into what a disciple is. And this is the second truth from this passage. A disciple is someone who knows and obeys Christ. This is the mission. We're going to make disciples, okay? But what is a disciple? Now, we don't generally in our day use the word disciple to describe someone. Every now and then you might hear that reference, but it's always kind of a little little weird. We don't refer to people as disciples of other people, not too often anyway. See, a disciple was someone who was devoted to and immersed in the teachings or writings of someone else. A disciple, a disciple would be a follower of some teacher, often sitting at their feet, following them around, listening to him or her, per se, impart wisdom or knowledge. Socrates, the ancient philosopher, he had disciples. Actually, Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5 was someone who would have had disciples. Paul was his disciple at one time. This was a very common thing in the ancient world. That you had people who followed a certain teacher and went wherever they went and listened to him and wrote down things and engaged with their teaching. So someone who is devoted to, the, to someone's teaching, someone who is immersed in their words, trying to understand what it is that they are saying. This would describe part of what it meant when Jesus was talking about making disciples. Certainly it was to understand Jesus. Certainly there needs to be that understanding of what He taught. But Jesus, as is so often the case, He took that concept and He elevated it. He took this concept of a disciple that wasn't just someone who was devoted to someone's teaching. He turned it into someone who was also, and even more so, devoted to Him personally. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I just want you to go out and make sure that people are following what I taught. I want them to follow my ethical standards. Jesus said, I came to call people and I came to call them to myself. Hear what Jesus said again. In Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, for I am gentle and lowly, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus said. Not, hey, come and adopt what I'm teaching. He said, come to me, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, and he said this, and I, this is one of those important um, watershed verses, I think, in Scripture. Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you might have life. John 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. John 7, verse 37, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Family, Friends, Christ isn't looking for people to just promote His ethical, or moral, or relational, or ecclesial, or theological teachings. He called people to Himself. His teachings are vital, and necessary, and essential. But the call of Christ was a call for people to come to Him, that they might have life. And this is still how He is calling people today. How He is calling sinners to Himself. Those that He came to seek and save. That's what He is still doing to this very day through us. That's how it's happening. As His people, the church, our message must always be clear. We are proclaiming and promoting and preaching Jesus Christ. We are calling people not to be part of our church, not to some ethical way of living, but to the man, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. Now, there are ethical teachings that come out of that. But the call is to come to Jesus. Listen, this morning, Jesus is saying, come to me. If you've never come to Jesus, He is calling you, come to Me that you might have life. Come to Me that you who are hungry and I will give you eternal bread. Come to Me you who are thirsty, whose soul is just barren and I will give you life abundant. Come to me who are weighed down by sin and weighed down by the the failures and the guilt and the condemnation of your life and I will lift that off of you because I have taken your sin and the curse of your sin on myself and I give you forgiveness and righteousness. I restore you to the Father. See, we are echoing Jesus' call so people might come to Him. Whether you're 5 or 55, if you've never come to Christ, hear that this morning. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Him. Come to Him. How do you do that? Romans tells us, if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. That is the work the Spirit is doing today. You see, it is our sin that makes us not just at odds with God, it makes us an enemy of God. I think sometimes when I listen to how the evangelical church talks about sin We we talk about it as if we're victims of sin, as if these things have been done to us, and we're just kind of helpless before that. We're not victims of sin; we are perpetrators of sin. We are the guilty before God. It's not whether or not you feel guilty; that's irrelevant. The fact is, in our sin, we are guilty before God and if God had not had mercy on us we would continue to press on in our sin and defiance of him but Christ made a sacrifice that atones for sin and again please hear don't turn away from this truth Christ is calling you today Jesus calls people to Himself and does so through us as people as we share the Gospel, as we proclaim Christ to others. Because what Jesus is after isn't just those who are knowledgeable about what He taught, although that's important. He is after those who are devoted to Him. Not just converts. Not not admirers. Not simply enthusiasts. Not simply those inspired by His teachings or by His life. Not those who liked the morality of what He taught. No, He gave the church authority to make those who were devoted to Him as Savior and who was following Him as Lord. So for a disciple... What that means is, if, you're follow, if you believe and trust in Jesus as your, as your Savior, and you're following Him as your Lord, that means something for how we live our life. And this is what Jesus is looking for, for people who are considering, what does it mean that I am Savior and Lord for how you live every day, how you are married, how you are single, how you raise your kids, how you deal with what you do with your money. What you do for career choice. How you treat somebody who's treated you poorly. It has implications across the board. And that's what Jesus is after. People who are always pressing on in their life, what does it look like to follow Jesus in the context where I am? In the relationships that I have. What does it look like to follow Jesus in the decisions that I make? What does it look like to follow Jesus in how I spend my money? What does it look like in this conversation with this person at work who stabbed me in the back? Does Jesus have something to say about how I, as his follower, am to respond to that? Yes. And it just goes on and on and on. No matter the situation, no matter the challenge, the struggle, the adversity, the conversation, the decision, the relationship, or the temptation. Our concern as a disciple is obedience to Christ. And this really leads to the third truth, where we talk about how disciples are matured. Disciples are matured by being taught to obey the word. Disciples are matured. That means they're grown by being taught the word. Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. That's what we read. So just a little, little side note here. On the word command, on the, on the, on the command to go. And I know... Pastor Phil has talked about this and I've mentioned it before, but I want to go back and just make sure we get this. When he says go, actually, it more accurately reads, as you go, wherever you go. As you go, wherever you go. You see, if we just read this as go, it's easy to miss this and simply read this as some kind of reference to those who are specially called to go to the mission field. And I think that is involved in this. There's something of that here. I mean, in Acts chapter 16, Paul received through a vision a call to go to Macedonia. It was a specific thing the Lord put on his heart to go and preach the truth, to preach the word, to preach Christ to those in Macedonia. So yes, the Lord does that. And listen, boy, we pray that from our church that God will raise up people that he calls to the mission field wherever that is. But if all we do is understand go as that special calling, then we've missed what Jesus is actually saying here. He is not just saying in some big special call to go. The command is so much bigger and it's so more life encompassing than that. It is pointing to each disciple, each follower of Christ, as you go, make disciples. Wherever you go, make disciples. I mean, Jesus knew that coming pretty soon after his, his, his death and resurrection, that the church would be dispersed throughout the world. Because of persecution. He was setting them up. Saying listen wherever you go. Go make disciples there. What does that mean for us? Well walking in our neighborhood. Shopping at the grocery store. Eating at a restaurant. Maybe you're part of the PTA. Maybe you're part of a neighborhood watch. Maybe you attend work parties. As we go. Wherever we go. We make disciples, Jesus is saying. And he says this, he goes on and says, Disciples, are we are to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. This is just saying simply the disciple grows by being taught the word of God. We are to teach the disciples what Christ has said and commanded. In other words, we are to teach them God's word. Certainly the specifics of what Jesus taught and the specifics of what the, new, the, the Gospels tell us about Jesus, but he's really pointing to everything that points to him, which is all of Scripture. Teach here means instruct. Didache, or Didasco is the Greek word. You can look that up if you want. And it has to do with just basic instruction. It has to do with imparting some information to somebody. But what Jesus says here is, are we just giving information? He isn't saying teach them. He's saying teach them to what? Observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just imparting a a set of information to someone. It's not just telling them what Jesus said or what Jesus commanded or what the, the Bible t- tells us about Jesus, and what it tells us about how we are to live. It says, teach the disciple how to observe. Observe means to hold fast. It means to guard it, to keep it close. And the implication of that is obedience. To observe all that Christ has commanded. He's saying, follow what Christ has commanded. Obey what Christ has commanded Do what Christ has commanded. That's what he's saying here. We aren't just teaching them what he said. We're teaching them how to obey what he said. A disciple matures and grows by hearing and believing and obeying the Word of God. And it's to this end We are to preach the Word, and we teach the Word, and we read the Word, and we quote the Word, and we study the Word, and we are encouraged to memorize the Word, and we are encouraged to meditate on the Word. Because the Word of God is life. Psalms 19 tells us how precious the Lord's words are to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Hear what Hebrews 4 tells us about God's word. The word of God, in verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, it's not docile. It's not just laying there. The Word of God is, li- is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of the morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word is powerful. That's why we are to submit ourselves to it. We read this from 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is why we elders are commanded in 1 Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. It's just just picking up what Jesus said. Teach them to observe. Teach them to follow. Teach them to obey what I have commanded. Essentially, the Word of God is what He has commanded. See, the Word is always challenging us. That's what these verses said. It's piercing soul and spirit. It's able to, 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 to expose the intentions of your heart. We can can pull the wool over other people's eyes, but you're not going to pull the wool over over the Scripture. It sits in judgment on us. And what we do, we don't sit in judgment on it. The Word is challenging us to change, to die to ourselves, to grow, to let go of things, to hold tight to other things, to go after some things, to give up other things. It's constantly doing it. The Word is isn't subject to the winds and pressures of any culture. In Mission City Fellowship, we want all those who God entrust into our care, and we take that seriously, those who God entrust into the care of this church to, be, to continually be under the Word of God and seeing the Spirit take the Word And continue to transform us, continue the work that began in Christ in the gospel, to see the word continue to have that transforming work in our lives. See, it it is a concern for me personally as I think about my own heart that I always subject, subject myself to the word, looking to see where maybe I have sinned or where I need to grow or or how I may need to change. In over the 30 plus years of ministry, it is it is sad to say how many times I have encountered people who have not made one change in their life in probably a decade because of reading the word. They've just continued on where they are. It seems incompatible with what we what we're seeing. I think I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Uh, I had a a relative who is now with the Lord who faithfully read her her daily bread. It was a devotion she got. She read that every day with the scripture that goes with it. She attended church regularly. She was a Sunday school, school teacher at one time. But she was as mean as a snake, was manipulative, was a gossip, and she tore people down with their words. There's a huge disconnect there, right? This is why application is so vital. This is why we're not just teaching what Jesus said. We're teaching to observe what Jesus said, what Jesus commanded. So let me end with just a few concluding thoughts. The first is a, is a question. I think they're both questions, actually. But it's this. How is Mission City Fellowship maturing disciples of Jesus? How is our church doing that? How are we trying to be faithful to what Jesus commanded here? How are we teaching disciples to observe all things that Christ has commanded? Well, the first way we do that is we faithfully preach the word each Sunday. I didn't say we perfectly preach it but we try to faithfully preach it to keep bringing us back keep bringing the church back to what does the word say and what does that mean for our lives and when we preach we are committed to what is called expositional preaching that may be a word you don't care about but it is an important truth. Expositional preaching means we aren't just using the, the, the Scripture like it's a Ouija board. Okay, Lord, just show me. We, we, we read it in context because that's how God chose to reveal it. We try to understand what it is saying in the context because when we stand up and preach, the main point of our sermon must be the main point of the text. It determines what we say and what we don't say. Now, Sometimes that like I said, we try to be faithful. Sometimes we don't, we don't come through that. But generally speaking, that is what we, we toil, we work, we are trying to be diligently, diligent people who rightly handle the Word of God. And that's what we are committed to. Every Sunday, exposing the Scripture so you can hear God speak, not man. That's one way. Another way that we are teaching Disciples to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Scripture is central in our fellowship groups. Scripture forms the foundation of why we do fellowship groups. Maybe you'd know something like this better as a small group ministry. We call them fellowship groups in this church. Scripture shapes what we do in the fellowship group. Yes, there is times of sharing of life and sharing of struggles and there's praying together and there's singing together and there's sharing meals and there's community outreach. But we do all this because of what Scripture says to do. We're trying to be faithful there. In our fellowship gatherings, the word is read, the word is explained, the word is discussed, the word is applied. We pray this. All we do in our fellowship groups is ultimately to help each disciple obey Christ in the context of their life. This is an opportunity for for people, for brothers and sisters to come around and and as we pray for one another and we talk about the struggles of our lives and where we're trying to be faithful to Christ, we bring the wisdom and the counsel and the prayer and the love and the encouragement of brothers and sisters to bear, saying, hey, the Word says this, here's how this can be applied here. How can we pray for you? That's what we're going after in our fellowship groups. Another way that we in this church are trying to be faithful to teach Disciples to observe all that Christ has commanded us. We, we are offering and are going to be offering a series of what we are calling collectives. Collectives. Essentially, this, this will be a series of classes where we explore what the Word says about various issues. I've already done what, what was called a care collective. I taught actually a couple of different groups of how do you do face-to-face ministry? How do you care for the person who's sitting in front of you? How do you powerfully, pointedly, and winsomely bring Scripture to bear in their life without just throwing a bunch of verses at them? So there's a couple groups in our church who have gone through that. How do I minister? How do I care for the person who's in front of me? And that will probably be offered again at some point. But we are looking at other collectives, a parenting collective, a marriage collective, an evangelism collective, a collective on the gifts of the Spirit. Other possible ones that we've thrown around but really haven't decided on. We could do one on financial faithfulness. We could do one on dealing with anxiety. We could do one on how do we address cultural issues. All of these things are, it's just another way we're trying to bring the Word to bear in your life. And in the life of this church. Another way that we are teaching disciples in this church to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Both Phil and I love to counsel the Word. We want to bring the light and the life of Scripture to bear in the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters. Into whatever challenge you may be facing. I mean, Bill talked about it earlier. We're all strugglers to some degree. We all need the care and encouragement of others. As pastors, we are here to help you. We are here to help you understand what scripture looks like, how that is applied, and what that means for your life. We would love to do that one-on-one. Our fellowship groups are where that can happen as well. With our fellowship group leaders who just want to love and care and encourage you in Christ and in the Word. Another way We teach disciples to observe what Christ has commanded. We promote conferences where we know the Word will be powerfully taught. We've done a leadership conference with some. We know there's a young adult conference that just happened in January. There is a youth conference that happened last June, and I think it's coming up again this summer. There's a worship conference that we know that's part of our family of churches where we know you will hear the Word. And it will be powerfully applied. You will be taught how to observe what Christ has commanded. You will be taught how to follow Christ, how to obey Him. And we do things like give out books. Books that we think will help you apply Scripture. That will help you understand better what the Word is saying in certain areas of your life. And again, these books are for you. If you have one, great. If you haven't been able to grab one, already, please do so before you leave. Just And again, we ask one per household. One final thought before we end. Again, this is a question. In this area of evangelism, what could obedience look like for us? What could obedience look like for us? This series through Matthew 28, it has been a challenge to my soul. And let me just be real candid. Over the years of my ministry, I have preached the gospel to thousands, if not tens of thousands of people each Sunday. Hundreds that I would preach each Sunday. Over the years of my Christian life, I have shared the gospel with hundreds of people. But I have felt the growing temptation to let this matter of evangelism just sit on the back burner. To not be zealous, to not be diligent in the area of going and making disciples. I find too many days giving giving place to insecurities instead of focusing on the Lord. I find in too many days not having even once thought or prayed for an opportunity to love another in Jesus' name or to, to share Christ with another. And here's how the Lord's been addressing this in my life. He actually used one of my favorite authors a woman by the name of Rosario Butterfield. Her first book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, had a profound profound impact on me. But it was actually her third book she wrote that challenged me more deeply than any, any other book has in a long time. That book, the title of that book was The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. That's the subtitle. This book is a challenge to love our neighbors with radical hospitality. Instead, the walls of our house being a barrier, it's a welcoming door for all who need. See, Rosario married a pastor. And their ministry involves continually opening their home to people. She said during the course of a week, many of their meals will be with church members, like most of their meals in the course of a week. Would be with church members, would be with neighbors, or even with strangers they would meet. And they would be purposeful around the table to talk about Christ, to read the Psalter or from Psalms. This is the life that they led in order to love people in Jesus' name. And I heard her speak about this because that's very, that's challenging to me. That's intimidating to me, to be honest with you, what she was saying. I heard her speak about this issue of regularly opening your home to love people in Jesus' name. And she said something like this. I know this may be overwhelming for some people to think of having guests in your house every day and trying to feed them and clean up after them and engage with them. But she went on and said this. You may not be able to do what we are doing, but can you open your arms just a little wider? Can you do even just a little more than what you're doing now, is what she's saying. You don't have to get on an elevator and try to share the gospel between floors. What does it look like See, I have this thought of what she said, and I think it applies to us as we come to the end of this series from Matthew, to go. So as you go, wherever you go, what does it look like to open your arms just a little wider? Just start there. As you go, wherever you go, what does it look like just to open your arms just a little wider, to do just a little bit more in faith? I don't know what that means for you. But I know when I began to work on this, the Lord gave me an opportunity with my new barber. And it was the Lord's doing. I didn't have to force it. I was just trying to be faithful to what he had opened. I don't know what this means for you. But if you ask the Lord, I'm pretty sure he'll show you. Lord, as I go, wherever I go, how can I open my arms a little wider? Maybe it means, can, can we take one minute to pray with our waiter? Can we, can we stop in our evening walks in the, in the neighborhood and maybe engage with the neighbor, whereas before we just walk on by, just to engage with them, maybe starting there, maybe that's opening your arms just a little bit wider? Can we invite a coworker or a neighbor over to a cookout or to a dinner sometime? Could we invite them to church? Can we go help a neighbor rake their yard? And I know from one testimony of family in this church, when they did that, it opened an opportunity to love and pray for a person. How about this? How about opening our arms a little wider with just this? Can we purpose to begin to pray every day about this? To pray for a lost relative or coworker or neighbor? Can we pray every day for an opportunity to share the love of Christ? Can we pray every day that we would be, have the courage to do this? How about this? Could we learn to give the gospel in three sentences? So that when I have just one minute to share Christ, I can do it. In three sentences. You know what that requires? opening your arms a little wider, it means taking some time to sit down and write out three sentences that would explain the gospel. And you can do it. It's possible. How about we open our our arms a little wider by bringing our brothers and sisters into prayer for us in this matter and, and letting them encourage us and hold us accountable. That would be opening your arms just a little bit wider. Will you pray that? Lord, help me to open my arms just a little wider, that wherever I go and as I go, that I can make disciples for you. To sum all of this up, as we go, wherever we go, May we be able to open our arms a little wider so Christ can make disciples through us. As a church, as we go, wherever we go, may we always open our heart as a church community wider so that Christ can make and mature disciples through us.